Thank you for tuning into the first episode of the Market Thieves podcast. This podcast is going to be all about the Federal Reserve and the history of the Federal Reserve. I am joined with my co-host Finno and Kudzi on this one and enjoy the show. Basically teaching everybody the whole ecosystem of what we're sort of in the middle of the beginning or on the cusp of. Um, I understand, you know, as all three of us probably do, when you try to explain investing or getting into this space, it's very intimidating for people because they just don't know where to begin with education. We've also, especially in this country, have gone through a period of time where, you know, it was sort of watered down and, and we were told that cryptocurrency was something that was just strictly used on the dark web. But then I can imagine if you um, have not kept up with it, you'd be a little confused now because you have news articles in the paper every day about how major financial institutions are now taking notice. So even with all of that going on, we are still at the very beginning of this industry as the world is sort of moving into this fourth industrial revolution. Um, so we just sort of want to take our viewers on a journey for educational purposes and just a little bit of current events later on. But the first 10 episodes, our goal or um, is to basically guide you through understanding everything from A to Z. So then by that time we are in later episodes, you are able to sort of bite down and chew on the information and understand what we're talking about. Um, everyone's got their own unique crypto journey. For me, I was basically exposed to the markets traditionally um, around the age of 16. I started to invest. I have um, my aunt, who's sort of my mentor, who works for a financial institution. And I didn't take a look at Bitcoin uh, in the beginning. I actually was very late uh, to the train, so I don't have a a sort of rags to riches or a crazy success story in that, but I just started to um, study and look at crypto about five years ago. And it sort of brought me to where I am now, where it's gone from just looking at investing, but also looking at emerging markets into the space and really um, developing a hobby of trying to understand exactly what's going on uh, beyond this and how understanding how scalable it is. Um, and also just sort of getting into it a lot more in the last year with quarantine going on because I have an understanding that uh, people such as my aunt or others are taking a look at digital finance and trying to catch everybody up on this space. So just seeing institutions like that take it more seriously has sort of allowed me to sort of bite down a little harder and, and, and invest a little more in uh, this space altogether. So. Uh, that's sort of my backdrop, um, and I'll uh, throw it over to my co-host, Finno, here. Unlike the co-host that just spoke, my name is Brian. I'm very new as to the other two people that are speaking here. I'd say maybe two and a half. I'd maybe say three years ago. Getting into crypto, I had a gentleman that I work with tell me a little backstory about how he did use it on the dark web, and... You know, then it eventually blew up, and he luckily held on to some and told me to start looking into some some currencies myself. And after doing that, I kind of put it to the wayside and just didn't even think about it, continued doing traditional stocks and just building up that part of the portfolio. Ever since I was in college, I had a roommate that was privy to all things within economics and finance and always tried to teach me and 
I've been doing it on my own and then with quarantine coming back up and 2020 being crazy, I had T here scoop me to the game a little bit more and I've been learning ever since so it's just a learning journey for me and I would like to help other people open their eyes and minds and pockets and start going in that direction as well because it's still young. Sweet. Um, Kudzi Taziba. I'm a crypto hobbyist, uh, former financial services suit, now trying to shed my formal life in financial services and do something a little more exciting. Um, my background with crypto, particularly Bitcoin, actually comes from um, being from Zimbabwe, uh, which uh, underwent hyperinflation in the 2000s, where we had trillion dollar notes. So every time I'd go there, we'd go to the grocery store with bags of money, um, which you know, sounds insane to the average American, but having witnessed what hyperinflation looks like, um, always had a knack or interest in um, I would say alternative means uh, or alternative capital because I saw you know firsthand a broken economy, and um, so around 2016 I had, a, I had a cousin reach out to me in Zimbabwe about Bitcoin, and I went down the rabbit hole, and before you know it, we were sort of uh, taking advantage of some arbitrage and buying over it in the U.S. and exchanging in Zimbabwe. Um, I ended up working in financial services, uh, supporting Fidelity, actually, as they went on this deep crypto journey. Um, and they're one of the major institutions that are kind of causing, I think, a lot of um, formal recognition of, of, of crypto. Um, and then eventually, I actually left the financial services world, worked at some startups, and have kind of been in and out of um, various kind of ecosystems within the crypto community. but. Um, really, really excited to, to be kind of sharing my journey to be talking about only crypto, but uh, economics as a whole, because I think um, it's a fundamental sort of element that people need to understand when, you know, we're talking politics or just work and uh, 2020. And I think both of you just mentioned the pandemic has just caused so much light onto, um, you know, how the system works. Um, what it does the system work? I think that's probably the, the question that we're going to try to answer today with like discussing the Fed and such. So happy to be here. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I want to get into first, just since we're all on the subject of cryptocurrency, is um, one of the first things that people want to know is the difference between crypto and the traditional market and such um, sort of pillars from centralized banking to decentralized banking and all of the possibilities that could come from this. I think one of the more exciting things that we're seeing now with this space is sort of peer-to-peer um, and sort of taking that sort of responsibility back into your own hands. Um, even with COVID going on, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out ways to sort of separate themselves in a sense where it's just like, you know, you want to be more financially independent because we don't know if things like this might happen again, say 10 years from now. Um, so I think one of the bigger uh, talking points with talking about the Federal Reserve and centralized banking in general is how would you guys each sort of break it down to somebody on, on sort of like the decentralization of cryptocurrency and like what that space might look like 10 years from now? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the issues we're dealing with right now um, as, as Americans is like short-termism, right? We, we think of things in quarters. If you look at the traditional stock market, that's how things are measured in, you know, quarterly uh, earnings reports and people focus on the day-to-day, -day, but they're not really zooming out and thinking, okay, 
um, what does this look like five, ten years from now, right? Um, and if, if you kind of fast forward and uh, accelerate where I think America is going, um, I think there there's some major issues and storms ahead of us. Um, for for one, you know, we, we just saw the the response to the pandemic uh, has been printing money, printing lots of money, and like again, per my origins in Zimbabwe, that never really ends well when you print a lot of money. Now, what's interesting in the U.S. is we're not really seeing cash, right? You know, mm -hmm. money now isn't, you know, them actually printing physical paper, but digital zeros being moved, right? Mm -hmm. So really, that's something I think that's relatively new as well, is money now is mostly digital, right? I, I rarely, I mean, Finno was saying he went somewhere the other day and they didn't accept his cash, right? right? And, and so if you think about that and say, okay, money is mostly digital now and we're just adding zeros, um, that also becomes problematic because I think there's no real uh, transparency into uh, how much money is actually out there, right? Like the money supply, like it's just now a bunch of zeros being moved by this very centralized authority, yeah. the, the central bank. And as we think about, okay, um, the U.S. is now really kind of pushing a lot of capital out there digitally. Um, it's not being held physically. And then to do a little background in history, as of like the 1960s, it's not really backed by anything, right? Mm -hmm. It's what we call fiat currency, not not backed by gold, uh, kind of just backed by the authority of the government. Um, but if we think about, look at the government over the last five, 10 years, uh, has also become somewhat radical. Mm -hmm. uh, we have like populist regimes, populist presidents, you know, uh, on both sides, right? Whether it's the, the Trumpism or like the AOC. Mm -hmm. um, and so you kind of have to start to wonder if you've got money that's backed by the government, but a government that's not really backed by the people, right. or um, what happens to the authority that is the US dollar. Um, and I think inflation is already happening. We just don't see it in like a lot of the goods we see every day. But if you think of education, if you think of healthcare, that's where like a lot of inflation is already existing. Um, so it makes sense to me that there's this eager thirst for something like uh, a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency, because I just think there's a lot of mistrust in both the government and the way that we are conducting ourselves fiscally. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's a good time. The dollar is becoming less tangible, physically in our hands. Switch over to something like you call it. What, what were we calling it the other day? Bitcoin techno technological gold? Digital, digital, digital gold. gold. Yeah. What a better time. I mean, we do everything with our hands and our phone. I mean, I do all my interactions now. If I can't carry cash, it's all done with a card or the phone. And you have no better time than to be able to swap that cash that you don't touch at all that's in your bank. And you could go buy something that's going to create value, hold value that's brand new. And, you know, talking about like our little brothers. And their generation, it might not mean anything to them, but you know, if you could get people to start getting these things, you know, whether it's playing a video game and getting a bonus on the video game, getting mm. to the next level, they get a couple tokens or coins. You know, that's not, that that might be the way that it goes from here. I don't know. It's different. So when we talk about like Federal Reserve, you know, you're talking about like sort of like governing bodies over the whole entire system. And I think that what gets people excited about cryptocurrency is like the possibility of doing a transaction where there isn't necessarily like someone in the middle that has to facilitate us 
money changing hands, you know? So like even the other day I was like talking about, and I'm pretty sure you guys have had this conversation too, but it's just like, you know, I'm curious is like, when, when will we get to the point where like someone can purchase a house from someone who will take coin from them and then there's some sort of official transaction made where we don't necessarily have to walk into a bank and like be approved for a loan. It's just like, it's what makes sense. It's um, things like you see the joke about how, you know, the government is in debt tons and tons of money, but it's just like, you're also judged for an amount that's like a fraction of what everybody owes in general. And you could have a credit score or some sort of identification that will either give you the green light or the red light to buy a home. And it's just like, will we ever live in a world where we don't necessarily have to walk into an institution, albeit anything that like could possibly hinder you from being able to like purchase a piece of something? and two people can just basically have that transaction private and totally to themselves if one owns and one wants to buy. Well, I could speak to that just because of my student loan debt and my job that I currently have. My debt to income ratio on paper is extremely high. So finding a loan for a house or, you know, that in itself is tough, but in the meantime, if you could find something on that scale that could be relatable to say like Venmo, where I could just go peer to peer, and it, or you know we could, I have some a friend or someone that has is holding these currencies digitally that I could borrow at a lower interest rate, credit score aside, and then be able to pay him back while he's just loaning me off of this. I could get the quote unquote loan for the home get the home and then I make payments to him without going to the bank where I need that credit score. I mean, that's, it seems inevitable. I mean, it's the scalability is, the infrastructure is almost there, yeah. I feel like, and the scalability is what's got to come next. It's just how does it bridge that gap? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's super interesting, right? Because if you think about the role of the Fed, why, why it was created, uh, their dual mandate is to um, maximize employment and stabilize prices, right? That's like the, the main role of the Fed. I mean, the responsibilities have now been expanded significantly to overseeing commercial banking. But I would argue just based on that exchange you guys just had in your stories that maybe the Fed is failing, right? If, if we're talking about maximizing employment means you should be able to be working a job that it allows you to do everything you need to, whether it's um, procure a loan or uh, successfully, you know, have financial independence, and I think we have a massive employment problem. I think most people are underemployed, mm -hmm. you know, uh, or the type of employment does not really lead to the type of lifestyle they need. And then we think about stabilizing prices. Well, uh, you know, most of your debt is student debt, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, the cost of education is astronomical, mm -hmm. and those prices have certainly not been stabilized. Um, so, so I think that beckons the question: Is the Fed doing an effective job? at a maximizing employment and stabilizing prices and i would say the answer to that is no hence we have the birth of this thing that is you know uh bitcoin and, and maybe a response to the lack of both um effectiveness and transparency that's happening at a centralized level no mm -hmm. yeah, i mean so like just history wise you know we were talking about it earlier we didn't necessarily have a centralized banking system until we established one, and we failed at establishing one twice. And then you have, um, you know, the pitfalls that happened in history with the financial system. And 
we always talk about what happened and where it went wrong, but you know, if we could all hop into a time machine and go back to the panic, you know, and someone was at, if someone were to ask you, um, how would you fix this without sort of having the understanding of like the technology that we do now with Bitcoin, because that's a solution for quite a bit of things. But um, it seemed like what had happened was people that sort of play the game, that are in the game, that have jobs in the game, um, it was a system of people or a group of people who came together to sort of almost game the system because you have individuals who were working in government and then also privately having meetings, such as the meeting that occurred on Jekyll Island, um, having meetings, saying this is what we want to put forth, and then going and clocking right back into work and then passing what they talked about. Um, so if we were to hop into a time machine and how would we do things different? Because, you know, the Dutch sort of had their example of centralized banking. The English already had their example of centralized banking. We didn't really have an established system yet. But if you were to be in that time, like what would the economy look like for yourself to be like in a position now where maybe it still works? Yeah, I think the U.S. established um, the Federal Reserve and our central bank in the early 1900s, mm -hmm. and we were kind of going through the history of that. And um, you know, I, th I think it's it's an interesting model because it was a response to financial panics, right? It wasn't like we needed this thing organically. Rather, um, it was a response to um, you know the I think panic of 1907. I, TT, I think you you have well versed like uh, it was very reactive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was very re reactive. But I know T, you have, you have some notes on sort of like yeah. the the history of the U.S. central banking system. Yeah. So it, you know we so the the English established their uh, central banking system in uh, 1694, and then the America or the Americans basically started uh, a centralized bank in 1791, and then it went to 1811 and failed. And then years later, they started one in 1816. And then it went to 1836 and failed again. Um, and then the panic of uh, 1907 came. Um, and basically what happened there was it was the first time where people could recall citizens losing faith in the banking system. They and went they, to take their money yeah. out and they said, sorry, we do not have right. your money. And storing cash mm -hmm. cold. And then it exposed what is actually going on where it's just like there's... There's no way that the pillars could have held themselves up. It was already on stilts anyway at the time. Um, you also had people betting on the stock market, which was totally legal at the time. Um, you had side bets on what would succeed and what would fail. So it only really left a couple of institutions thriving. It only left a couple of them able to survive. So instead of um, you know the government going in there and saying, okay, we're not gonna necessarily talk to people inside of the industry and tell them to fix it, what should have happened was they should have just talked to them and then fixed it on their own. But they instead talked to them and said, hey, JP Morgan, how do you fix this? So if I'm him, I'm obviously going to go home and be like, I'm going to fix this as best I can, but I'm also going to like sort of add some things in there that also benefits me because clearly I know more than they know if they're coming to ask me for my advice, but that seemed to be what 
the actions were from him and other individuals. So, you know, you have Morgan who got all of the healthy banks together and they decided to have a meeting themselves and said, how do we fix this? But also, even from what we see today, what are things that still on the low work in our favor? They had, you had 12 regional banks, each structured as private public organizations which had its own stock. Mm -hmm. Each stock would be bought by the charter banks within that region for $100. You could not buy, sell, or trade it. You held it. It had a 6% dividend. And then every everything the Fed earned that was above 6% would go directly to the Treasury, and the remainder from that would go back to the regional banks. Right. Yeah, I mean, I am not a economist, right. uh, nor am I a historian, but my understanding is the federal banking system is kind of, you have the board, right, and then the, the board of governors, um, and you have these 12 regional banks, and you have a chairman, but it, to surmise it, it is a very insular, somewhat incestuous, small circle uh, of mostly, you know, white men who run the financial system and that was established again early in the 1900s and hasn't really evolved much um if anything the role of the fed and the way that these um 12 regional uh, board of governors um work has really just expanded uh in terms of power and their rule over the commercial banks right so um, they tend to have a lot of oversight on what happens um, with the J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo's of the world. Um, and that monetary and fiscal policy structure that we have um, was, again, a response to financial crisis, right? That we have this entity to oversee things. Um, in terms of modern-day financial crises, right, I think the most recent ones we can think of are 2008, mm -hmm. um, and then there's there's been a growing social response to to the financial like crises, right? I think everyone remembers Occupy Wall Street, right. mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's like an interesting um, thing to bring up when we talk about the Fed because it seems like the people uh, don't really see the Fed as being effective as clearly sort of demonstrated in the sentiment of like Occupy Wall Street or. Um, just general upheaval of the current system. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the United States is a democracy. I'm sure if we had some sort of vote about reforming or regulating the Fed, we'd get a really interesting response um, because I think since, you know, 1907 or whatever, um, there has been uh, a lot of advancements in just public knowledge mm -hmm. um, that people want greater transparency um, and they don't really want this centralized sense of power in what is it 13 14 folks that mm -hmm. again meet maybe necessarily not you know jekyll island today but likely jackson hole wyoming or wherever they have these meetings right um with again just general lack of transparency with uh with the public yeah i mean even with like the jackal island crew like um eldritch was the leader of the Republican Party. He was in the United States Senate. He widely controlled the Senate. Monetary policy, he was on the Finance Committee. He controlled um, a lot of decisions there. He was one of the uh, members that was on the island that day. Then you have, uh, you know, uh, Andrews. He was an economist. He was Assistant Secretary of Treasury. So he's got a seat in government. So once again, he can have a meeting with these guys. Here's what we're going to do. Then the next morning, wake up, clock in, and, and pass exactly what he, he planned or have a hand in that. Um, you have people that were 
uh, presidents of institutions back then, such as um, uh, Frank Vanderlip. He was there. He was a journalist. He was the he was the president of the National National Citibank, which is now Citibank. At the time, um, there's a gentleman named Benjamin Strong. Uh, he was uh, the president of J.P. Morgan Chase at the time. So there's your J.P. Morgan connection. Um, and this was all later on because in the beginning when J.P. Morgan and those banks got together for the solution to 1907, they uh, established the National Monetary uh, Commission. Um, a couple of these guys that met in Jackal Island also sat on the National Pol uh, Monetary Commission. And then that group, the National Monetary Commission, put forth the Federal Reserve Act. Um, also, a fun note when I was doing my research uh, was when the National Monetary Commission was established, it was the first time where the government said, well, if we have an emergency, we can print money. So wow. that happened like well early. You know, it's just like when people think Federal Reserve, they think cash being printed off the back of nothing. But it's, their solution to 1907 was if we have an emergency, now it's just like the the rules are very, very, very blurred when it comes to like what does an emergency entail? We can print money, and that was even before the Fed was even established. I, I think that's highly problematic. <laughs> um, I mean, printing money essentially, or I like, to, to maybe zoom out a little bit. Um, the Fed essentially and central banks essentially are supposed to oversee the value of the currency, right? And a lot of that is regulated by interest rates and then how much money is printed and controlling the money supply. Um, but there is general, again, lack of transparency and lack of accountability when it comes to how that's done. And essentially where we are now when we think about um, responses to emergencies, right? So of course we had something like the pandemic, mm -hmm. You know the economy literally shuts down, and in order to, to to prevent a crisis, we did print money, or quote unquote, we issued money or capital, and we saw a huge jump in the U.S. money supply in 2020. Um, I don't know the exact figures or numbers, but if you then sort of ask, okay, what is inflation for the U.S. or U.S. capital, and, and based on 2020 numbers? I don't think you get accurate numbers from the Fed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they control the system. They, they, we just kind of went through how you know they got together and why incentive-wise, it's not basically in the best interest that they be transparent. But we really don't know accurate inflation numbers. Um, we don't have accurate numbers of the U.S. money supply. We do know that they've been issuing a lot of capital, um, and I think you know we're not too far off if we think about you know. 10 years out when, you know, someone will say, I don't want the U.S. dollar, right? I, 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 I mean, that's, that's what I see in 10 years from now, you know, is U.S. capital having very little value, not being, you know, the world's reserve currency. Mm -hmm. um, and largely, I think that's to do with, you know, the kind of failures of the Fed, um, that that's where I'll start, and the failures of the U.S. government. Yeah, I mean, even you were saying earlier, Finna, we were talking about what's the difference between like just sort of packing up and saying, we don't want to play this game anymore. How easy is that? And he used a great analogy where he's like, you really don't even have to open up the door. The door is open. You just have to walk through. When we do get to that point, what is stopping us from saying, I'm taking my finances and I'm placing it in something else and I'm not playing this game anymore? 
Well, I think people, number one, are probably just afraid because it's in reach to everyone, and that's that's the important thing right now. We just saw that example A with what just happened on Reddit. You know, then we see how institutions control the traditional stock market and how they want us to go and buy stocks for yeah. them. Right now, we have everyone has a cell phone. They could They could go on an exchange and buy crypto. They could do that. It's right there. It's easy. They just have to... I don't know if you're, you know, like you see these people that catch all the hype. They don't do any research in the stocks. How come there's no hype on people just buying more than just Bitcoin or something else like that? I don't know what that is, but speaking to the Federal Reserve, I think people and decentralizing people lost faith because they saw, okay, all this money got printed out. No one could fathom how much a trillion dollars is per se, but when they got that check for 600 bucks, they're like, I know I didn't get a fraction of it. Where did it go? How come I didn't have a say? Where did it go? Now you have a say and you could use your own money that you got, take that money you got for free and buy some crypto in it. And now you could take, take control, take a step through the door. And now you're going in a different direction where there's, it might be a little murky, but it's, it's clear that you could take your steps away from that 12 men controlled area of governing body and you could try to take your steps towards you know financial independence that way but i don't know what the how you bridge that gap over to that i don't know what it's going to take because i mean people buy stocks every day some of them don't even have an idea about any financials they'll just take a buddy stock tip but when you say, oh, why don't you buy Bitcoin instead today? They're going to give you hell because they don't know anything right. about it. But it just it, it's it's a social aspect of it, too. I think that it is that new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think Bitcoin is a response to the system, right? Um, to, to failures of the system. And in my worldview and that of many others, it's a rebellion. It's a rebellion to the system. It's the ultimate rebellion to the Federal Reserve, to the 1907 um, archaic structure that was established that had centralized power and authority for for monetary policy. Um, to that point, I think it's so important that everyone sort of probably read the, who wants to get into space or get cliff notes of uh, the Bitcoin white paper, right? Um, where what is Bitcoin? It's, it's a peer-to-peer network built on trust and trust in, in math and computer science versus trust in a system around 12, 13 guys and, you know, occasionally I think they're, they're like two women on the board of governors, yeah. um, you know, uh, who make these choices and these decisions. So um, to, to your point, Fino, about, you know, what's it going to take? I think it's going to take education, right? It's going to take education. It's going to take um, a little bit more understanding of why you know there is a need for something like Bitcoin or something like decentralized finance, right? I think that'll probably come up way later in, in, in this discussion, DeFi. Um, but the need for that comes out of, I think, uh, clear failures in a centralized system, clear mistrust in that system. And if you think about the US dollar, it's all like printed on it says in god we trust mm-hmm. right um and i think separation of church and state is central to, to u.s government but now we're going to see separation um of, of church and state when it comes to money where it, i don't think the politicians and the government necessarily has to have to control uh and oversee 
um, a lot of financial services. And to your point about what happened, you know, recently with you know GameStop, mm-hmm. uh, GameStop stock, and um, established institutions, and basically Wall Street versus Main Street, or the, you'll hear articles talk about flows before pros, um, essentially meaning that everyday people now have enough momentum, have democratized information, and can sway markets, right? And I think that is part of the rebellion, this revolution that's happening um, of you know independent um, financial services outside the traditional system and outside traditional structure. And I think that's exciting, right? I mean, there's, there's definitely risk involved, but um, I think it's such an exciting time to be, you know, our age, to, you know, millennials, to, to have, you know, this technology that empowers us. And I think we're just at the beginning. What do you think it took, what do you think it took for sort of like Wall Street to take notice in a big way that they did last year in cryptocurrency? Because at the end of last year, we saw like institutions just pouring money into it. And it was sort of like a long time coming with growing pains, because I don't think that anyone well maybe not anyone but i don't think that a lot of people on that level sort of looked at it and took it seriously obviously in the beginning and not even when it really you know had its first rise to like attention with the gains that it made years ago last year specifically at the very end of last year it seemed like there was articles almost every single day this institution's thrown this million and this institution's thrown this million at it so what do we think clicked for them do we think it was coronavirus and sort of really getting a cold hard look at how the financial finance system works for everyone as a whole and saying "Mm, this isn't going to work anymore or do you think that they're starting to realize that we're kind of at the beginning of the end of that era in finance when it comes to like traditional obviously it's going to be a long time before it's totally abandoned but we are seeing sort of like the beginning of the end and the end of the beginning, you know? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question, right? Like, what was it last year that was the catalyst for um, institutional adoption of, of, of crypto, mainly Bitcoin? And I think the one major thing that was COVID-inspired is as trillions of dollars was distributed by the Fed, um, I think every company and every institution that holds U.S. dollars was like, wait, so I, that inflation, what's going on here? Yeah. Where, where we, we are basically debasing and devaluing our money, right? And, and they wanted to have something that's a hedge against um, the U.S. dollar. And I think it's something the U.S. dollar went down like something like six or seven percent last year uh, compared to other like, currencies around the world. And so, you know, you started seeing institutions, uh, actually started seeing public companies put some of their balance sheet in yeah. Bitcoin, right? So you have um, Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy. He's like now the biggest Bitcoin evangelist. Um, and it's a software company based in Virginia, I believe. And, you know, they put some of their balance sheet in Bitcoin rather than holding U.S. Treasury notes. And wow, like what a move. I think they made a few hundred million, if not billion dollars, because they did that in like August or October of last year. Um, you had Square, which is a publicly traded company, purchase Bitcoin as well and disclose why and what they, you know, kind of their thesis around that. And then I think the third thing that we saw last year was um, the infrastructure and ecosystem for, actu- for institutions actually acquiring Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrencies is actually there now, mm-hmm. right? Um, Back in 2017 was the last sort of like crazy bull market for for Bitcoin, and 
that was an era that I think was fueled by retail like enthusiasts. But last year's run was, you know, companies actually buy Bitcoin. You had actually Mass Mutual, um, which is an insurance company, uh, one of the largest in the country. They purchased Bitcoin. So a- as you see sort of, you know, these companies adopting Bitcoin, it, it, it just amplifies the belief, right? Because mm-hmm. ultimately what money is, is a belief system, right? It's, in a, it's, a, it's trust. And if we can establish belief and enthusiasm um, not only from the rebellious revolutionary you know, libertarians out there, but with actual companies, then you now just start to see adoption, right? And I'm pretty sure the biggest question or critic um, for, for Bitcoin is people say it's not, it's not backed by anything, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, oh, it's not backed by anything. The number of times I hear that, you know, like, like it's neither like, is the dollar. Yeah, exactly. So what's, what's, what, does, what backs the U.S. dollar? Right. And, and truth be told, nothing. It's like, well, I guess maybe the U.S. Army. Like, right. um, but but if, if, as warfare is changing, right, and, and like we start thinking about, I think modern warfare happens more digitally. And I'm like, is the U.S. like the best, you know, uh, company from a cyber security perspective? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. So uh, even then, you have to start to wonder um, you know, where does the dollar stand in five, 10 years and 15 years? And, you know, in terms of things being backed by something, Bitcoin's backed by computer science and it's backed now by a bunch of believers. And the more believers that are there, the more the system can actually sort of usurp the old system. First episode of the Market Thieves podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the show. Along the way, we're going to be getting better at finding our voices on the cast as any new podcast. But thank you for tuning in. Um, we hope that you learned a lot today. Please don't hesitate to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll probably be uploading our podcast there as well as Spotify and find us on iTunes. And please give us a follow on the Instagram page, market underscore thieves as well as our Twitter, Market underscore Thieves. We are going to be getting our social media going soon.